you're listening to AI Impressions with Kate, John, and Eric, a podcast for the curious, where we invite you to join the conversation on all things artificial intelligence. Um, playing with a small, long, large language model the other day, mm-hmm. just goofing around, and I was able to do sentiment and uh basically uh, clustering of uh, the data with that I was feeding into it. So it was actually giving me, you know, I was looking at trades and everything, but it was actually segmenting things and giving the sentiment based on other feedback and everything using a large language model for something that it, that I knew it could do, but no one, no one does. And I was like, I wonder how well it does this. Oh my God. Oh man, that's why awesome. I keep making the joke. We'll rewrite the empires thing in 72 hours. <laughs> we already did. And anyways, I don't want that. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about yeah. that later. Yeah. But okay. So where are we? 48 seconds. Okay. So I'll cap it at like a, a minute. I'll do the intro and that way it's an easy cut. Ba, ba, da, ba. Oh. Hello and welcome to another episode of AI Impressions. Today we have a special edition of a short for you. It is myself, Kate Dudzik, and John Diltz, our resident engineer, getting technical on one of our shorts. Afternoon, morning, good evening, wherever you may be. So as you can tell, um, we are recording at a different time and Eric will be joining us at another time to talk more about the cultural impacts. But today we wanted to bring you a little bit more detail on some of the technical components that you may be curious about when it comes to AI. Specifically, there is a lot of confusion around what is data that we use? What is learning? What does it mean for a machine to learn? People throw these terms around like willy nilly and seem to define them as they go, eh? Yeah, ain't that the truth? Um, You know, even, uh, you know, even the reuse of the same term over and over and over again, you know, if anyone's ever worked in corporate America, you know, corporate America is full of acronyms. You know, tech is is no different. The problem is, is we love to recycle them because we run out. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's so, only so many combinations. You yes, can make. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, sometimes they just start copywriting or trademarking these things so they don't get stepped on all the time. Oh, um, seriously, it's like, as we're, we're going to dive into today, or maybe even right now, Artificial intelligence is a discipline, like it's a whole area, the same way philosophy is a discipline or, you know, uh, mechanical engineering is different than civil engineering, stuff like that. And I feel like a lot of people say, oh, it's AI when they're referring to a tool that is constructed from principles and pieces of artificial intelligence, but it's not the same thing as the field of AI, you know? I run into a lot of that when people, you know, when I say I work in AI, um, when I say I work in AI, the, the, the questions that come back to me a lot of times, uh, don't really match up with what AI is just because everyone seems to think that if the computer gets input and gives you some type of novel output, for lack of a better way to put it, you get 
you're working with AI and <laughs> in, you know, you can use the term loosely and I guess you could say it's not inaccurate, um, but it's not really a good way to think about it. I mean, we've been yeah. for decades and decades, we've used what we call discrete AI, which is just if this, then that, you know, it's probably <laughs> the simplest way to put it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a basic logic gate. You know, it's it's yeah. really, really good at either turning the TV on or turning it off. <laughs> you know, that type of yeah. thing. Um, and that is an AI. It, it is. It's it's not that AI that we would talk about these days, but mm -hmm. it, for you know, in the, the grand scheme of things, if it's an automated process, you in a sense could say it's a discrete AI. I, I don't like to. I mean, to me it's just a piece of it, it's just an algorithm. Mm -hmm. where AI to me is a collection uh, right. of algorithms to be a little bit more less binary. I guess you'd probably be a better way to say mm -hmm. it. Um, I'm thinking the way I usually talk about it or the way that I prefer to speak to it, and maybe you'll agree, is using a tool or an AI tool and and calling it as such you know it's just like oh yeah we use tools that are you know ai based or uh it's it's a piece of software engineering that leverages ai principles or something like that you know yeah yeah and it's and, and even the term ai nowadays at least with how we you know you and i are implementing it these days mm -hmm. is, is kind of evolved even in the last few years 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, AI used to be, you know, feed the inputs, get the outputs and everything. So classification, you know, is this a cat yeah. or is this a dog? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, those types of things. Um, sentiment analysis, you mm -hmm. know, where you're talking, you know, positive, negative, neutral. Um, those types of AIs have evolved tremendously. And nowadays it's about, you know, taking those, the, we'll call it the bundle of algorithms for a second, Mm -hmm. um, or what we were collectively referred to as a model. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but we leverage tools on top yes. of it. We now use an agent paradigm, you know, where you almost, the intelligence isn't so much said model and algorithms, but the intelligence is the business logic, the, the task that you're using that model for. And it's a really, really complex, it's very simple in speaking and, and talking. It's a very complex process to, to build those agents and then teach those agents that, oh, by the way, if you can't get it here, here's all these other tools. And it does. So it's like teaching a five-year-old. Yeah. It's like teaching a five-year-old. <laughs> I, I do refer to them as my children. Um, but before we get into the complexity that is agents, and for those of you who know, that's something that John and I love to work on, and it's been my specialization for almost a decade. I love it. It is insanely challenging and so rewarding, but it starts with the foundation of learning. And as John, you accurately said, you know, a lot of what we do is leverage algorithms. So almost like recipes for getting computer systems to sure. do certain things, ending in certain types of results. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I kind of like the metaphor of recipes actually for this. Uh, I do too. I've never thought of it that way, but it, it actually works because there's so many ingredients to yeah. how we put these things together these days. 
And some people like having paprika and some people can do it without, but you're still going to end up with like a soup. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So it's just maybe a little more bland. Yeah. Um, and bland isn't bad sometimes, especially when you're talking sometimes in AI. The best. Yeah. Sometimes I just want like homemade chicken noodle soup, old school with the celery and carrots, you know? <laughs> Nothing like the trifecta. Oh, amazing. Uh, so but... machine learning, how would you define it? Um, machine learning to me, is more data-driven analysis. Mm -hmm. okay. um, it's not, you know, it's, it's algorithmic in a sense and that type of stuff, but it's not mm -hmm. the traditional software development. So I come from background in e-commerce. So, mm -hmm. you know, we would have to build shopping carts and then we okay. build inventory and stuff like that. Machine learning isn't that. That would be just component type thing where machine learning would, be a piece that would take all that information that we would collect. You know, we've, we've had 10,000 people come through with the cart. And then you look at like a priori or what they call market basket analysis or the old beer and mm -hmm. diapers algorithm. Um, an example, what part of it is the machine learning? It's to me, the machine is the algorithm that is capable of understanding be a trend, be a classification within the data itself. From an engineering perspective, it's simple. It's a very finite structure. It's a very linear structure, as opposed to the abstraction uh, that we're starting to see when we're playing around with things like um, large language models and that type of stuff. Okay, so, so before you get into that, let's backtrack a little bit. Yeah what part of the machine actually learns? So the algorithm, the memory. I don't feel there is learning. Okay. So why do we call it machine learning then? And I, you know what? I've, it's, it's technology, man. It's always got a dumb name. <laughs> awesome. Cause I think this is what listeners out there and people who are listening to this podcast want to know is, you know, you give this example about an e-commerce platform running and making decisions based off of information coming in. In this particular case, what part of that means machine learning, you know? See, for me, learning occurs when there's memory. Okay. Right. And machine learning in and of itself, I guess you can think of the data mm -hmm. as the memory, but at no point in time does it say, okay, I ran this report at midnight yesterday, I'll run the same report tonight. It doesn't look at yesterday's report right. to run that same report. So to me, it, it's missing that memory. So the machine aspect is, you know, whatever it takes to generate that report. The learning aspect is honestly really kind of on the developer at that point, Amazing. you know, and, and kind of how they implement said learning, yeah. but it, it honestly, it's, you know, it's kind of a Rosetta stone and everything it's carved and it can't be changed. Beautiful. You know? And I was really hoping that you would hit that nail because that brings us to our, our guess, I guess our second definition here in this, this episode is supervised learning. Sure. So in ML, machine learning, getting back to those acronyms where there's way too many, uh, <laughs> we have supervised learning, unsupervised learning, and reinforcement learning. These are our three types. And John, you just described supervised learning. Correct. Where it's on the developer. And 
the majority of the decisions made or logic or basically everything that the system knows is predetermined, preset, and limited to that box. And it's, and it's incredibly, incredibly influenced by the quality of that data yeah. as well. Right? Yes. So it's poorly put together, yeah. poorly assembled, unstructured, oh, yeah. that type of thing. You, you, you're, you quickly are able to decrease the accuracy of it entering mm -hmm. without really truly understanding the data. Absolutely. So um, do you want to dive into what you mean when you say accuracy here for listeners? Sure. So, you know, let's stick with the, the e-commerce because everyone shops on Amazon or, you know, insert place here. Um, when you check out, there are certain products in there. Anyway, so a good e-commerce platform, let's say t-shirts, you know, um, it's going to have what we would refer to as variants, you know, in a thing. So it, this is a t-shirt, yeah. but I have a dozen different types of t-shirts. And then within that dozen types of t-shirts, they come in six different colors. And then each one has a different logo on the front or something along those lines. You know, you, you kind of see where I'm getting my point. Yeah. That would be very highly structured data and chances are you're not going to have a t-shirt that doesn't have a color you know and without getting into the semantics of white but, um <laughs> color or shade for so, those of you out there yeah yeah there we go um but because of that that is a highly structured and that's really in the best case scenario a very accurate data right so i can from that deduce that you know t-shirt c in blue is my top seller so i should probably increase stock you know those types of things but now when we get into a point that say you know we've got an e-commerce platform we've got a couple you know a couple different distributors and maybe one of the distributors is kind of like mercedes it only comes in three colors you know or, or the old ford adage you can have it any color you want just so it's black you know so that color doesn't come in as a as a piece of the data we've now broken down on the accuracy of that data now in this example, it's highly, highly simplified. It would be very easy to compensate for and that type of stuff, but that's not what the point of this is. By us now missing that that data point or what we would refer to as a data feature, anyway, we decrease our, our accuracy or potentially even cause some of the machine learning to kind of break down because it doesn't have that color characteristic. So. If T-shirt B that was in blue was my top seller, I introduce a, a new distributor and all I do is black T-shirts so we don't have a color with them. And T-shirt A from that new distributor outsells that, chances are we're not, if we're using the color as an important thing, it's gonna get missed because mm -hmm. it doesn't have it. Anything. So you start imagining this in tens, hundreds of thousands of records, right? And your, your data, your reports aren't valid anymore in the grand scheme of things. And it's very difficult to see when this type of stuff happens. That's why supervised learning is very, very good when you know you have good data, good 
highly structured data, something out of a database that has validations. So, you know, this we've all done online forms where this field is required, you know, a good database has those requirements too. So we get a nice structured data back. That's when that's when supervised learning really excels. Mm -hmm. um, when you don't have that type of stuff, that's when you kind of have to, you know, kind of rate machine learning to build the data for the new real machine learning, you know, awesome. to be honest with you. So, yeah. So just throwing in some terms here, I mean, you know, you brought up regression problems and classification mm -hmm. and those are some areas that supervised learning. So where there's like a, you know, a preset training set of data. I know I'm saying set a lot, so I'm trying to keep it as like, easy to follow as possible. Set is actually really good. Everyone's used a spreadsheet, there you go. Google That's Sheets or Excel. Yeah. If you think about it in, uh, as a set of data as one of those spreadsheets yeah. or a tab in a spreadsheet or something like that, it's a really good way to think about it because yeah. it is actually fairly representative. So that's that's amazing. And I love that because if you think of it like a spreadsheet, you know, it's something that you've constructed or at least vetted in some way, shape or form. And you're system is going to use this set of information to then do what you said, like maybe keep track of, you know, various types of items, classify them, you know, make predictions about certain things that it has knowledge about. But when we start moving into unsupervised, it's not that we don't necessarily watch the system. It's not that literal. It's more so that when you have an unsupervised learning algorithm, you end up with something where you don't have a training set, right? So you're just applying something almost blind and seeing what it does with the data. And I think this is where, you know, John, your point on the quality of data and for anyone out there who does work with data or maybe doesn't necessarily appreciate it as they should, having a good, clean, even if you can get an equally distributed data set, oh my goodness, it makes a world of difference because that's essentially the information that you learn from. If you spend your entire life being told that red is actually yellow, no one can fault you when you call yellow red, right? That's what it is when you give a bad data set or an improperly vetted data set to a model and then see poor performance. If you're not controlling the data or at least managing the sources at the very least, you know, I, it, it's not really on the system for producing a, a null result or a poor quality result, you know? Yeah. I mean, you brought up a, you know, there's actually a real world example and I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to, this story I'm going to butcher, but you know, when you go to Japan and their streetlights, they don't have a green light, it's blue. And the story I was told, it was basically because when they saw Western streetlights and everything like that, they interpreted that green as blue. Now I've heard it two different directions. It was like, it was a bad camera and that's how it works, which actually is very believable. Um, but I think, I think what it actually has to do is with how the language translates. Oh, interesting. So uh, over there, um, when you, when you're driver, you get into a cab or something like that, you'll notice immediately that they don't have green lights, they have blue. And I, I it's, it's a great analogy to what bad data can happen. 
That's awesome. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, I had no idea. It sounds beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, like, like I said, I, I I don't know the specifics behind it, but um, I I remember hearing the story, and I always thought that was fascinating. And just what you said, you know, yeah, you know, if you're taught red is yellow, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the same. It's the same thing. And th this is a real world example. And there's there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of real world examples oh, yeah. where something was misinterpreted or. Uh -huh you know, misappropriated yep. or whatever the case. Absolutely. Um, Just look at the, uh, the way that training data sets have impacted real world use cases, like uh, sure. facial features unlocking phone screens, for example. Sure. There wasn't a properly distributed data set to train that algorithm across users of different ethnicities and genders. So they yep. ended up with an algorithm that didn't identify people properly or didn't identify which, various facial structures properly brings up probably one of the biggest terms that gets thrown around these days and it's kind of misunderstood which is bias yes oh my goodness yeah we'll put a pin in that one for next time but yes 100 yeah. percent. these systems do end up biased because they're they're ending up with results that are swayed by an improper mm -hmm. distribution across learning data so and you know i think we the unsupervised learning i guess the, the really the only real good example that i can think of mm. these days is spam filters oh nice okay yeah i mean just general bayesian mm. logic internet um but it's really really complex but it doesn't know what you think is spam that's very true spam is, um, I guess, until you tell it <laughs> Yeah. So unless it does it, yeah. and nowadays it's a, it's a lot better because there are, there are, there is metadata and email, whether or not the server feels yeah. it's spam and they get listened to. But, you know, if you've been online for greater than 10, 15 years mm -hmm. and had an email, you remember in the early days of spam email, I mean, it, I remember waking up sometimes and having a thousand emails in my my inbox of three of which I had any interest. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you know, especially yeah. especially when I worked at the universities, they were terrible about just carpet bombing oh, on, you know, every every account because they're all published. Um uh, but, you know, those types of but it, it is a really, really good example of unsupervised learning. You but that being said, the second I start telling it, I think this is spam. Mm-hmm. It's no longer unsupervised Woo! learning. It's now a reinforcement. It's our third type of learning. Yes. So reinforcement learning is literally, you know, hey, AI, I think you're wrong. Here's what I think you're wrong, and here's what it should be. Yeah. AI takes that into consideration, skews the logic, and thus decreases the error. We go back to data here. Because if you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. <laughs> um, we've read reports with GPT-4 getting dumber mm -hmm. as it's been used because of people abusing it, really. I mean, you know, trying to convince it two plus two is five, you know, those yeah. types of things. But back to your point, you know, when you tell a system, this is spam, you're giving it guidance you know, kind of yes. like a child. And that's, that's the interesting thing about the chat GPT there when people are telling you, oh yeah, yeah, this is exactly what you need to know. It's like telling a kid, 
you know, I go up to that person and tell them like, oh, yeah, yeah, do you like their shirt? Tell them like, F your shirt or something like that, you know, and the kid doesn't know. They don't know. But you, you get them to go do like, say, a swear word or something to someone and bless. They'll go. Do it. You know, they don't know. Better. You're, 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 you're playing with the kid analogy. You know, mm-hmm. a great example of unsupervised learning is let them put their hand on the hot burner. They'll never do it again. Yes. You know, yeah. I mean, but could it be argued that that's reinforcement learning? No, I, I'm going to say it's unsupervised if they do it once. It's reinforcement yeah. if they do it twice. <laughs> so it's unsupervised if they unknowingly touch the hot thing and then realize, oh, shit, that's hot. Don't touch that. That's unsupervised. Yeah. It's just existing in the environment and they engage with it. If they put their hand on the hot plate and they're like, shit, that's hot. And we go, yeah, it's hot. Don't touch that again, okay? That's that's reinforcement. But also they get reinforced by their own system signals. So if you give your algorithm pain receptors and enable it to have a negative feedback input expression from touching the hot plate, that's also reinforcement learning, just as you get reinforcement learning from touching an actual hot plate and burning yourself. I remember being a kid and leaning on a fire pit once when we were out camping. I didn't know. I was a child. I thought I could lean on it to look at the fire closer because I was a little tiny pyro. And I burned the palms of my hands so badly, so badly. No one had to tell I, me. I, I had a that. dog that just couldn't use reinforcement learning. He'd always lit his tail on fire. Oh, <laughs> oh no, Pippi. So that was the failure in reinforcement learning. Yeah. Um, but, you know, oddly, though, you're, you're, you are talking, you, you made mention of, you know, negative. And with reinforcement learning, there are, you know, other derivatives thereof with like reinforce, you know, the reinforcement learning, there's, you know, adversarial mm-hmm. learning, you know, where you, you, you punish yeah. the, the AI for doing bad. And then there's a reward mechanism yeah. too. So you can look at it both, the, both ways. You don't, you never do both, but it just, that would just be way too complex. But, you know, there's, there's derivatives of all of these as well that get into a little bit more specialized. So when you're talking, like I just mentioned, the adversarial network um, type of reinforcement network that basically when the AI isn't achieving a goal, it gets punished. And it's typically kind of like a point system oh. and everything. And you put higher points associated with the higher punishments, that type of thing. And it's goals to have as many points as, you know, like a game. And which is, that's actually a really good example of when that's used is like game programming and stuff like that. We love adversarial networks. Um, but back to your point, you know, the unsupervised learning is probably one of the most difficult things to classify because it very quickly and very easily can become reinforcement learning or very, very quickly can become supervised. So there's, and the reason I kind of say it that way is because the approach traditionally in machine learning evolves Mm -hmm. as you start understanding the output. Very true. Um, and that's it's kind of the beauty of all three of these. Yeah, they can slide back and forth within one another as you're doing development um, and, and leveraging because, you know, we do sort of with some of the 
some of the uh, like the chat stuff like Bard and you know, Claude and ChatGPT and stuff like that. We do, if you get into the prompt engineering, mm -hmm. I don't want to dig into that too deeply, but you can give examples. So if you want to give it information and have it summarize a news article for you, for instance, you can give it an examples of how you want that news article summarized. Mm -hmm. um, that would be, you know, what we would call like few shot or something like that, but it would be a form of, you could think of it as a form of supervised learning. Awesome. If you just tell it, you want it to summarize something and everything be a zero shot or unsupervised learning. So you're allowing the system to kind of formulate its okay. opinion for lack of a better term is pretty easiest way to describe it. Um, and it's kind of fun because, you know, the, especially on supervised learning kind of was falling out of vogue for a while, but now we've got this really wonderful mix mm -hmm. of approaches. Um, so you don't, reinforcement learning is the one that we hear more than anything. I think that's really kind of where the industry's heading, but you have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's fascinating to, you know, when we used to do the supervised, back in the day and that type of stuff, you know, rolling it back in and everything. It was, a, it was a choice. Mm. And nowadays it's, you know, let's have fun with it. You know, awesome. hey, we'll start here, see what we get. Hey, what's tomorrow, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I, I always argue for the benefits of a hybrid approach and people oftentimes are like, what do you mean hybrid? And I'm like, well, yeah, different stages need different types of learning, different actions within a system. And I think, you know, almost full circle here, and we're about to wrap up soon anyways, it's, uh, you know, the misunderstanding of artificial intelligence and the idea that, you know, oh, it has to be one type of machine learning in an algorithm or within a system, whereas you can actually have multiple different stages of the system enacting different types of ML, you know, and... That's one of the, that's what's one approach to multimodal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, that is our short today on machine learning and how machines learn. I think my takeaway point would be that, you know, between supervised learning, unsupervised learning and reinforcement learning, understanding that feedback to the system or the system's learning operations in general doesn't need to happen from you expressly typing into the system saying, good job. To me, that's, that's probably the biggest confusion that a lot of people get. As a designer, oftentimes, I'll put the reward inside a specific module of the system that most people don't even see. You know, it's just a reward that the system knows is a good thing or, you know, sometimes a bad thing or a neutral thing or whatnot, that little itty bitty piece is sometimes not even visible, let alone something that you get to interact with. What about you, John? What's your big? Well, I, th I think a good takeaway is, you know, and also building on what you were just saying, internet is the, the, this field in general, but machine learning specifically, mm. you know, it is advanced math. You know, yeah. we can't lie, you know, it's linear algebra, yeah. it's calculus, that type of stuff. Some things that people will never see in their lives um, and probably for the better, <laughs> but, Beautiful. you know, 
Yeah. Um, but the thing really, what I, what I like to take away is understand that, yes, it is kind of a black box. It yeah. does look like magic sometimes, yeah. but if you take it, take a step back at any rate and look at the bigger picture mm. at any rate in, there is kind of a built in stupidity, if you will, it's really only good at, you know, what you tell it, yeah. you know, I, I said it earlier, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Um, if it's poorly written, it's going to be inaccurate. Mm -hmm. If it's too well written, it honestly just won't, <laughs> it probably will lock up and not work. Right. Um, but you know, it's, it's those types of things, you know, remember you're interfacing with a piece of technology and, and it's only as good as the instructions it's given. Absolutely. Um, and math is the same way. You know, training yeah. dogs and, of course, Pavlov, classic conditioning, operant conditioning, all that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't forget it's a tool. I don't know. It may look like magic, but it's not. I don't know. It's just maybe the person who wrote it was a little smarter than you today. Or you maybe know. it's just something that you haven't explored yet, and that's okay, too. Yeah. It's not a big deal. You know, that's why we're here. From all of us here at AI Impressions, thank you for listening. Are you curious to learn more? Find us at AIimpressions.co or on our YouTube channel at AI Impressions. Thank you for supporting our mission to bring you accessible info on AI. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share a like, subscribe to our podcast, or if we really blew your mind, send a donation through the Bias a Coffee link in description so we can make even more types of detailed, engaging content for you. Do you have an idea for a future episode or question for us? Send us an email at podcast at AIimpressions.co. That's podcast at A-I-M-P-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S dot C-O. We love to hear from you. Until next time, stay curious.